Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Morning Footy presented by Ford Euro 2024 qualifiers continue this weekend. Here's a look at some of the notable matches today. Cyprus will face Scotland at 2.45 p.m. Eastern on Fubo TV. And then tomorrow, Ukraine versus England, 12 p.m. Eastern on FS2. We'll see North Macedonia take on Italy, Finland versus Denmark. And then on Sunday, Albania will face Poland at 2.45 p.m. Eastern on FS1. So... For more on this Ukraine-England match, let's bring in our very good friend, the lovely Anita Jones. Anita, let's talk about England because uh, right now they are currently sitting on top of Group C. They have 12 points, four games, four wins. How would you assess their qualifiers so far? You have to be pretty pleased. Oh, without a doubt. And I don't think there was really any question that England wouldn't qualify for the Euros next year in Germany. When you look at the opponents in there, I guess the, the real toughest challenge was against Italy and they beat them, making history when they did beat them um, earlier this year. In terms of going into this final game, I, I think it's a chance for Gareth Southgate to potentially experiment. Although he said he hasn't really wanted to upset the equilibrium, if I can call it that, of the group. Um, they are going to go through to to the, the competition next season, having won four out of four so far. It's the first two teams of each group that automatically qualify. So given the rest of the standings of that group, that's not in question at all. And they beat Ukraine in the, the reverse fixture. Of course, we know the sad situation of Ukraine at the moment. Um, they're still going through that war. Um, they're not really so established in terms of having... Um, the, I guess the preparation they would like to prepare for these kind of games. But it's incredible that they're still um, out here competing with the likes of England, Italy and the rest of the, the teams or nations, I should say, in this competition. Anita, I know club football is king in England, um, but because of this, what I would call really a golden era, uh, there seems to be a lot more focus on the international game, in particular, Gareth Southgate. While, yes, there's a lot of jeers for him throughout his career as the coach uh, of the English national team, there's rumors that he may walk after these Euros. He, he missed out on winning a trophy in the Euros last time, losing in the finals. What do you think of his career? And where, do, you, do you think, we've had this conversation at this desk, do you think he'll be looked at as a success, even if he doesn't win these Euros? Yeah, I do think you have to consider him a success because he's the closest that we've got to getting our hands on trophy a trophy again. You know, everyone always has a lot to say when England fans are saying it's coming home. We nearly had it come home on home turf. Didn't quite go that way. Italy had other plans. 
But um, in terms of us getting into a position where we could actually sing that song with pride, he's the first manager to get us to, to that position. And in terms of what he's done, um, during his reign, he's had to navigate some really tough times. Like you think of like the social and political situation in England, we went through the likes of Brexit and there were lots of political tensions. There was the, the killing of George Floyd, which really just had shockwaves around the world. And England took a stance when it came to, to saying where they stood on those things. They took the knee, they said that Black Lives Matter and he openly had really tough conversations with the media and really just told everyone where he and his players stood. So I think when you look at Gareth Southgate and what he's contributed so far in his seven years, it's just as remarkable as what he's done on the pitch as what he's done off it. Yes, there are big question marks when it comes to crunch moments, like you think of the, final, the Euro finals against Italy. Was it right for him to have selected the players he did to take the penalty? That's up for debate. But again, like I said, we haven't been this close to where we could say it's coming home. Next year, we'll see in Germany. But as things are going, we're, we're getting to that competition at least. I, I couldn't agree more with you, Anita. When I, when I see Gareth Southgate in this position, this is the most prolific England have been in my lifetime in terms of top quality opponent and the US were actually better than them in that group stage match. So, oh boy. you know, it feels good. <laughs> um, speaking of this English side, are there any surprises for you in terms of players not being selected for this current group? Because I just look at a player like Raheem Sterling, who has started to find his feet now with Mauricio Pochettino at Chelsea, four appearances, two goals. Looks like he's starting to be dynamic again, but not called up into this team. And you have a player like Callum Wilson, who's 31 years old, and he's second choice to, to Ishak at, at Newcastle. So... I'm trying to figure out where is Gareth Southgate going for the future of this of this national team. Really, really um, valid question there, Charlie. In fact, the fact that Raheem Sterling wasn't included was a huge bit of news here. And um, it's the third uh, England squad that he's not involved with consecutively. The previous two, he wasn't involved because he wasn't fit enough and was coming back from injury. And of course, we all saw last season how things were at Chelsea. I don't think really any Chelsea player came out in much glory at the end of last season. But you rightly mentioned he has kicked off to this season so well under Maurizio Pochettino. He's got two goals from the opening four games. And he looked like he was in prime position to be in there, and especially when you consider that the likes of Jack Grealish and Trent Alexander-Arnold have had to withdraw recently. I say Trent Alexander-Arnold because he was listed as a midfielder. We saw him do it for the first time against Malta. So you thought that maybe Raheem Sterling would have a chance to come in through as a, a late, I guess, call-up, but that wasn't the case. And Gareth Southgate actually openly said that Raheem wasn't happy that he wasn't involved. Um, you mentioned the likes of Callum Wilson. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure really what that's about. But Eddie Nketiah has got his first call up. And you'd think looking ahead to the future, maybe he's someone that could be considered as the natural next successor of the likes of Harry Kane. But the big news without a doubt was that Raheem Sterling wasn't there. And then the likes of Calvin Phillips and Harry Maguire, who are getting next to no playing time, were included yet again. So there's so many questions when these um, squad lists come out. But Something that seems to be clear from Gareth Southgate's position is that he um, 
favours loyalty over the players that seem to, I guess, adjust to his his style of play well, that um, are part of a good group harmony within the England squad. And so um, he's been rather forgiving when it comes to how, uh, I guess, they're doing at club level or whether they're even playing at all. Anita, what about Southgate beyond the Euros? Obviously, the dream more than a Euros to win the World Cup. But does it feel in England that if Euro 2024 is not a success in whatever fashion you want to describe success, a semifinal, a final, um, does it feel like that might be a final straw for the FA? I think final straw is uh, a bit harsh, I would say, simply because, having mentioned previously, he has got England to being so close to being in contention with lifting a trophy. Um, I think that they would, they would be under a lot of pressure because the expectations are so high now of this England squad. And I think Charlie said it before that this is almost like a golden generation when you think of the talent we have from the back right through to the front. Um, and the fact that they're all able to play so well. I know you had the generations where the likes of Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard and Paul Scholes were in midfield. And that was just mesmerising when they played for their club football. But when it came to them playing as a collective in the England shirt, it didn't quite transfer over. But over in this case, with this crop of players, we are seeing how well they are in playing together. And I guess those club rivalries don't seem to um, have such a big impact. They're almost left at the door when they go to St George's Park, which is um, the national training centre for, for the England squad. So um, in terms of whether that would be the last straw, Nico, I think that there would be an overwhelming pressure from the, the England public to maybe see some change. And it's interesting you talk about this because recently in the press, there's been question marks about whether Pep Guardiola would step into that role. And that's simply because uh, of some comments he made about potentially wanting to go into international management after being with the club. So um, I think he said it because he wanted to be able to have more time to play golf. Don't quote me, but I believe it was something to that effect. So, um, yeah, there were question marks about whether he'd be the ideal person. Um, and he has a winning track record. So I think if there was someone that could come into the setup and potentially get England even closer, should Gareth Southgate not be able to achieve that, um, why not Pep Guardiola? What's the result at the Euros, Anita, that you think wouldn't put pressure on Southgate? Yes, the win. Another final, I would say, and it going a different way, it not going down to penalties, um, but them losing in a different way. I would, I would, I'd have to say that, yeah. I mean, getting, to, I don't think you can tell any manager, you gotta win the Euros to keep your job. But if you get to a final, no, a, 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 another final, right? How do you question Southgate? Even at that point, it's like, okay, look how far he's getting in all these tournaments. You gotta give him the World Cup then. Go ahead, mm -hmm. Suze. Hmm? I said, go ahead, Suze. No, I was just, I'm good. I just wanted to ask about, we, we have talked so much about Jude Bellingham on this show and the incredible start to the season that he's having with Real Madrid. Um, just kind of wondering, like, what his stature is amongst the club now that he's, he's kind of become this in, incredible global phenomenon. Um, what, how are they reacting to, to Jude Bellingham and, and what's his role now? Yeah, what a player. I think one of the legacies of Gareth Southgate's tenure is that he has really given young talent a 
an opportunity uh, to thrive on the big stage. So, you know, I spoke about the selections in terms of penalties when it came to that Euros final against Italy. Others would say it was brave. He had confidence in his young players to say, go and give it a shot. And it was Gareth Southgate who gave Jude Bellingham his debut back in 2020. And he's repaid that faith tenfold. You see just how naturally he slots into this team. You wouldn't believe he's as young as he is. He, he, he really carries himself with such composure and looks like he's way, way, I guess, beyond his years. And talking about what he's done at club level, we're all so excited. You know, he's got five goals from his opening four games at Real Madrid. He's wearing the number five shirt worn by one of the greatest midfielders ever in Zinedine Zidane. And it doesn't seem to faze him. And just the way he conducts himself in front of the media, England absolutely is in love with him. He, he, I think the sky's the limit for him. And um, he seems to be one of those young players that is thriving under Gareth Southgate. And you wonder if it had been someone else, would they have given him the opportunity that they did three years ago, to, or nearly three years ago, to come into the squad and play on the big stage? So, um, yeah, we, we all love him. And... Um, Again, props to Gareth Southgate for believing in the youth and feeling like they could actually contribute in a huge way to England's overall output. Yeah, he is a, a special player. Superstar. Generational talent. Uh, it's been yeah. so much fun to watch. Anita Jones, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Have a fabulous Thanks, weekend. We'll see you soon. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Um, all right, guys, we're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we are going to chat about some teams on the bubble in the Eastern Conference in Major League Soccer. Stick around. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome back to Morning Footy presented by Ford. Uh, the home stretch of the MLS regular season means that we're keeping a very close eye on that playoff line. Well, earlier this week, we chatted on bubble teams in the Western Conference. Today, we're looking at the East. Here's a look at that bottom half of the Eastern Conference standings right now. And check this out. Only eight points separate the teams in ninth through 14th, which is exactly where Inter-Miami sits. So right now, we're going to chat about the team that's currently holding that ninth place spot in DC United and what we think their prospects are for actually holding onto that spot, potentially making the playoffs. I remember earlier this uh, year you questioned, we're like, is Wayne Rooney a good coach? Is he a good, do, how, how do you feel about it right now, Alexis? I mean, it's still kind of up in the air, right? I mean, you've had moments where DC United look good enough uh, to win a lot of games. You know, they look strong. The question I still have is what is the imprint that you know, a, a Wayne Rooney has made onto this squad. Um, I haven't seen a consistent squad. They are not in the playoffs as of right now. I'm sorry, they're in ninth place, so they're just potentially in the playoffs. Holding on for dear life. They're holding on for dear life. Inner Miami, breathing down their necks all the way from the bottom of the, <laughs> of the Eastern Conference table. Uh, it's really a, a battle between them and Montreal as to who can actually hold on. You know, I think we look, we look at this group and – 
Christian Benteke is a, is a, a quality striker. He has 10 goals in the league, four assists. And you have to and give Rooney credit for that. Yes, and Matthias Klick is two goals, eight assists. So he's been producing in terms of creating goals for uh, Benteke. And, and uh, you know, you, you, I think you look at Taxi Funtas being a, a big failure and, and mm-hmm. having left the team because of the, the racial um, comments they had just had to part ways with him. So I just think that this DC United team are, are not on the front foot. And goalkeeping is, defending and goalkeeping has, has been a big issue with DC United. So hmm. it's going to be tough, but I think their schedule is, is kind of helps them favorable? in a way. It's, okay, it's a let's favorable look at, schedule. Let's look at the remaining matches for, for DC United. They're coming off a foreign, big 4-0 win over Chicago, which was huge because that's an Eastern Conference rival. So this is how it's looking for DC the rest of the way. They have that match against San Jose tomorrow night, and then Charlotte, winnable. Atlanta, hmm. Red Bulls. It's home. The two get, those are home. So okay. you give them the benefit of the doubt. They, they haven't been great on the road, they're four, eight, and two, but uh, mm. NYCFC's at home, Red Bulls at home, Atlanta at home, and San Jose Earthquakes at home. Those are our must-win must win games. You and have to win at home. You think they get the nine points from those? Uh, they have to, and, and I think that they should. Um, and then the away at Charlotte, I think Charlotte are very good at home. So Charlotte is, for me, the, the wild card because they have games in hand. They're at 26 games played. Svidersky is is a is a capable player in this in this league quality good good finisher, and I just think that defensively they're they're a little bit more sound than a sh- Chicago who's winless in four yeah. mm-hmm. four straight losses eleven goals against one goals for they're going to drop down they're in tenth so they're at thirty two points I think they're going to be out of the the equation New York City FC they're one seven seven away from from Yankee Stadium but. They have four home and two away for the games that they, they yeah, have but left. They just, lost, just, they just lost probably the, the one the player that they needed guy. to come back, Maxi Morales, uh, who I think is, you know, really helps them, especially with, you know, Santi Rodriguez is still there, but, you know, Musef Bakrar has scored two goals, uh, came in. No one knew exactly what you were going to get out of him. He scored two goals. But I don't think NYCFC have enough firepower. I think at most we're looking, looking at their schedule. They, uh, they're at home uh, to New York Red Bull, uh, Orlando, Toronto. So there's three points. No disrespect, Toronto. They go away to Miami, D.C. United, which is going to be tough. Uh, and then they play back at home against Chicago. I'm looking at seven, possibly eight points out of that. And if they lose to D.C. United – there's no chance that they're going to hop over them. So I think NYCFC, unfortunately, are, yes. are probably out of a playoff. But can D.C. United hold on? Because Charlotte looked like a strong team. Miami looked like a strong team that could potentially usurp them. I'm looking at this D.C. United squad, and I haven't watched every single D.C. United game. I, and, but from How what, dare you? From, from what I've seen, I've really it's felt like they've lost Dahomey a little bit. When he came over, he looked like this uh, dynamic, pacey player that kind of gets lost. He doesn't have that much of a prolific production offensively for DC. And then I understand that they have uh, Andy Nahar playing uh, right wing back. But another good player that's on the bench, that comes off the bench, um, that I liked Orlando, was Juan, the, the right back, mm. the Brazilian right back. Um, Juan. Juan, yeah, yeah. So, well, you, nah, but he's, he's a good MLS fullback, in, in my <laughs> opinion. But I Charlie's that. look of just no, being... I understand, like, but he's not starting over him. Like, what do you... 
what are you going to do? But it's just I feel like there's talent there that's not being taken advantage the of. The question that everyone is wondering is, can Inter Miami in 14th place with 25 points get into the playoffs? And, and the answer is yes. I'm looking at this You're right looking now, at their schedule. these standings, and I'm looking at the teams above them. And I just think that the, it, it really is entirely possible. Just go to every every team above Miami and say, is Miami at full strength better than them yeah. right now? And the answer is yes. Is yes. A resounding yes. But, but they're going to have to lose at some point, guys. Yeah, right? Yes. Of course. As Casey. But, but, you, but, but at that point, you can't, but you can't <laughs> lose that many times because if not, you don't make the playoffs. Look, I think we should do the, the exercise that we did with Inner Miami, I think. Oh, do it again now that you guys have more information. No, no, no do it. I wasn't here for that. Halfway, Neither was I. Yeah, okay, halfway, good point. We're both halfway clear. through the games, we'll go back okay. to see how many got by, but and then do it again. Yeah, because it's I'm into it's it. a long shot. Inner Miami season or ability to get in the playoffs will hinge on their last two matches, which is a home and away to Charlotte, almost like a mini playoff, a two-legged playoff before As, uh, that, because that's probably going to be a team above them. They've played point. 11 games. They're unbeaten in 11. They've won seven in regulation, four draws. Um, how can you? Bet against, against them. them. How? I know. I, I Chuck, I know. Nico, I mean, I, you guys I mean, heard when I said full strength, right? That's we were, how. we, we. Everyone's gonna be healthy. They came in when we did our that exercise yeah. a couple weeks ago. I think the the total amount of points. I believe they were like three points shy. Yeah. Of making the playoffs, and, right? And we were very generous. We were like, okay, full strength Miami. Let's be on, yeah. on any given how day. How many points do you think they need? I, ne- I mean, forty we, or forty-three. No, to get in. more like 46, 44. We averaged the, the ninth place points from the last couple of seasons, and it was like around forty-four. And if they pull it off, it would be an incredible. It would be, I would think, more impressive than winning the League's Cup oh, to win amazing. to get into the playoffs. And as Ray Hudson would say, from the outset, that would have been like pouring a pint of beer into a shot glass. It's mm-hmm. the precision that you need. The w- you have, you've, got, Poetry. you've got no w- wiggle room for failure no. almost. A very, very enough, little. You enough can that slip up only a couple of times. Tata Martino said he was only thinking about next season anyway when he started because it was like, why, why even, but, I mean, say, it why even talk about playoffs? If they get it, if they get it, if they get it, imagine, they go, they imagine. the whole thing. Are they the favorites? How do you bet against? Are they the favorites? <laughs> no. Are they the yes. favorites? Yes, they make the playoffs. Yes, the are. They are the favorites to win. We stand west. We've been covering yes. MLS for a long time. Yes, we have. When you go into the playoffs hot. Remember Portland did it that it's year? It's all about it's all about how you are trending Momentum. going into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. It's all it and is. if you are hot, if you and this inner Miami team coming after trophy after trophy and 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 being able to rack up that amount of points. They are the favorites. They oh get in the goodness. they get in the playoffs, so they do the treble. Imagine that. They have to, right? Guys, well, I want to see this. We we would know because they would have would have had to have won U.S. Open Cup. U.S. Open Cup. I'm assuming they're going to win that. It would be absolutely uh, imagine. I want to see. I want to see Messi in a best of three series, the first best of three <sighs> in his career. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. I'm getting goosebumps. Wow. Major League Soccer is going to get so much hate because the world is going to be watching. And they go, oh, Americans doing their best of three. They don't understand the sport. Man, we're like, I love it. It's us. It's Let us fun. have our fun. Let us yeah. make it American. Who ca- like, exactly. Do, do, there's leagues in South America that do, and in Central America, that do 
crazy playoff structure. Nobody says anything about that just because everybody speaks English and they see what we do. Man, we get made fun of for calling in soccer when that's their name nah. for, for back in the day. I'm done with I'm, it. I'm all for best of three. Same. This is America. Same. It's called soccer now. And it's a best of three. Let's go. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think your mentions now. Uh, oh, boy. What, they're going to stop calling me fat clown for five minutes? Uh, <laughs> you know what? No room for that. Be nice, people. Have you people. seen my comments? Bro? No. <laughs> Terrific. You're such a good sport. All right. We're taking another break. Um, we're going to chat some CONMEBOL World Cup qualifiers when we come back. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Morning Footy, presented by Ford. Come the ball, World Cup qualifiers have kicked off. Here's a look at the results from Thursday. A nil-nil draw between Paraguay and Peru. Colombia get the one-nil win over Venezuela. Argentina mm -hmm. with the 1-0 win over Ecuador. And then tonight we will see Uruguay face what Chile. A game. And Brazil hosting Bolivia, 8.45 p.m. Eastern. Um, let's chat about uh, Argentina, Ecuador, because guess who? Scored hmm. on a free kick. I'll give you one. I'll give you one uh, guess. Yeah. The guy one. who's going to beat Charlotte uh, twice, <laughs> Leo Messi. Hey. Hey. And what a free hey. kick it was! <laughs> In watching this match, I was I was one just kind of shocked at the level of intensity and and um, I I don't know if they you would even call them. Just the physical brutality in this match that the ref allowed. Mm. He did not blow his whistle. He allowed a lot of a lot of play on moments where, you know, Ecuador and Argentina are going at it. It was so, so high energy. The the amount of, of fighting that was taking place on the pitch was incredible. But ultimately, I, I think Lautaro Martinez just isn't clicking the way he does at Inter Milan with this Argentine side. He just sensed sense the World Cup because beef going into the World Cup, Lautaro with Argentina was red hot. And then something happened at the World Cup and it's just so unlucky by, by centimeters. He's not being able to score a miss hit yesterday, then hits the post. It it feels like he's just mentally not 100%. Mm -hmm. and, and, and Argentines, it's, you can see how they want him to start scoring again. But what I want to talk about the game yesterday, Ecuador did a fantastic job to make Argentina fall into all these imprecisions. Argentina wasn't great yesterday. Um, they, they they struggled in the build-up. Even Messi it was, was... It was almost uh, uh, lazy. Other than the free kick, it, it, Messi was imprecise and looking for passes. De Paul started out well and then and then fell off. Enzo Fernandez and McAllister. It wasn't clicking. It was like they got into the final third and they couldn't find a way to breach Ecuador that was sitting back, but whenever they did create a certain opportunity, the guy who was man of the match, other, other than Messi, I would not even say other than Messi, above Messi, is Cuti Romero. <laughs> he, I loved how the, your dad was always like, Cuti Romero! <laughs> he was, he balled. The way that Cuti Romero anticipates and, and steps into attack, not only that, 
Ener Valencia, who is their most lethal player, the top goal scorer in, in Ecuador history, was in in the box, and Guti Romero didn't even hesitate to put in a slide tackle to get to the ball clean, like mm -hmm. Mr. Clean's head. I, it was, was, it was shiny. It was, it was risky. It, yeah, he, the, it, it was, was the most risky. <laughs> the way that he went in, and he is... Argentines are thrive off of that. The fans, mm -hmm. it's it's contagious, and the whole stadium. Ole, 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 but they were they were guilty ole, when they were building ole, out of the ole. back Otamendi and Romero of giving cheap balls away. They were trying All flicks and and yeah. it, Ecuador just wasn't Otamendi clinical though. when they needed to yeah. be. And, and Inter Valencia on that play was was trying to win a penalty. He set himself yeah, up because man. he knew Cuti Romero was coming in hard. And he still won the tackle, and, so it was impressive. And Guti Romero goes, always takes it a little bit too far. We saw with Richarlison in the Prem when they had those moments when Richarlison was at Everton still. After that slide tackle and Ener Valencia's on the ground, he went over him and he went, sorry, I'm out of cam. Sorry, director, the director tripping. I went, <laughs> oh, he yelled at him in his face, but like got really close. And I was like, oh no, Argent yeah. Argentina, Argentina's not playing well. And if Ener Valencia scores, out is it ain't going to be pretty. Real quick. No. Uh, <laughs> I, one, of the, one of the things that I, I noticed about it is the ferociousness of this match. Kind of, we talked a little bit about qualifying for a World Cup. There's seven out of ten spots. Maybe it's not as important. You would not have known by watching this mm. match. This felt like the old qualifying days where you have to win. When, with no VAR. That's, <laughs> the way they were playing was like, yeah. ain't nobody watches. Is VAR invented yet? Yeah, no cameras. That this it feels like everybody's invited to the party, but only a couple of people are going to be left out. And those countries are going to feel like this is their opportunity mm. to make it. And it's going to be even more devastating to the team that doesn't go. Ecuador, Ecuador were good. They yeah, just, they did their game. They, 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 went, they showed up to Argentina to 80,000 plus attendance stadium. And they did the game that they needed to play. If Plata had a better, better ability in the attacking yeah. third, Ecuador wins this game. Yeah, they, I, I there, were, there were multiple moments where Ecuador could have, yeah, could, have, could, could have been able to, to score a goal, but Plata was, was guilty of just losing the ball easily or, or not taking the, the chance. But um, what about Moises Caicedo being put on skates by Leo Messi? Oh, my. There were, there were a couple fouls that they this called. A, the bright, leaving Brighton is starting to become a curse, man. <laughs> but he was very physical. There were a couple of moments. There were a couple of fouls that uh, Wilmar Roldan, the referee, called that I didn't think were that aggressive. But there were some aggressive yeah, it was, plays. It was strong. It was his, strong. His whistle stayed in his pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dana White was in I the just, stands at this one. I'm disappointed in Alexis. Why I kept waiting for a cootie joke. Oh. I, I'm, I was like, oh, what? Oh. what you like, should have been in my brain. There were a couple in there. <laughs> this is live television. You see that camera right there? What has that stopped you? I was like, what's he going to no, say? I'm no. trying to come up with some, but yeah. The lightest one I can think of is cooties when you're in school, but I was like, I'm not cootie saying any pie. of it. Cootie <laughs> pie. I'm not saying any of it. Brazil also. Uh. Brazil. Okay, yeah. So, so there's a statue Brazil. in Argentina. Quickly, we got to hit them. Uh, Brazil will face Bolivia tonight. Uh, they are um, have interim interim coach Fernando Diniz, who is in charge ahead of Carlos Ancelotti, who will join ahead of um, Copa America. What are what are you anticipating? Four nil? Is that what you? I think so. Brazil sent? has so much quality. And no Vinny Jr.? Nobody Jr., but they've got... But Rodrigo, I mean, Martinelli, yeah. Gabriel, Gabriel Jesus. Jesus. No Vinny Jr. Just means maybe the Aux cable is a little yeah. bit empty. I mean, the team is still stacked. I'm interested, I'm interested to see Ken Janine's input, 100%. his style, 
into the squad. If you're looking at uh, Brazil, the fan base is a little upset that the team is becoming too European than the style in which they play. They think it's becoming too methodical that the jogo bonito, the independent, the, the flair is gone, that it's not, you're, it's too structured. Geniz is the exact opposite of that. He is the antithesis of a structured style. Can he input that for in the next year that he has this sort of, you know, um, sort of courtship over the team? Can he institute that style? Can we see these players just thrive on that ball? That's what so I'm looking ju at. Just for context-wise, Fernando Geniz is still the Fluminense coach, and Fluminense is in a Copa Libertadores semifinals mm -hmm. as hmm. we speak. They're on the other side of, of Boca's bracket. This is his side hustle. And, and the final, this is his side hustle. The final's <laughs> going to be the, the Brazil, Brazil national team. And, and, and once... Casual. The March, his last job would be, he didn't even have a year, it's, it's less. By the time that the March window comes around, that's going to be his last game with Brazil because then after the European season ends, Carlo Ancelotti shows up to the national team and it's Copa America time. Wow. So Carlo Ancelotti is going to debut, maybe, mm -hmm. I don't know, a friendly before, but a first, first, first official game is going to be in the Copa America. And wow. if you've never seen Fluminense play, it is wild. So I hope the Brazil national team plays that way. Wow. All right. Brazil-Bolivia, that game tonight, 8.45 p.m. We're going to take another break. We are chatting some CONCACAF Nations League when we return. Don't go anywhere. Here is a look at some of the notable matches that we have to look forward to this weekend. Also, Panama got the 3-0 win over Martinique. Jamaica will face Honduras tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. We will see Guatemala face Panama, and El Salvador will take on Trinidad Tobago. Oh, you can watch all those matches on Galato. But let's chat about Jamaica because this is a team that's coming off a pretty stellar performance in the Gold Cup. They had a lot of good players um, who had some, some great performances. Charlie, when you, when you look at this Jamaica side, who are the players uh, that can be difference makers for them? Well, same uh, players that we've seen over, over the years. So, I mean, you look at Leon Bailey as a, a player that needs to, to have a big performance for this Jamaican side. And it's, it, a player that you can always rely on. We've seen with Aston Villa those magical moments when he comes in with his left foot. But Mikel Antonio is the striker that, yes, his hold-up play, his, his ability to finish, those are the things that you look at from this Jamaica side because you never have to worry about their goalkeeper. Andre Blake has been phenomenal in CONCACAF uh, with this Jamaica side. But that's who you're looking at in terms of being able to score goals. Leon Bailey, Damari De Gray had some great performances but can they be consistent and throughout the match? And Bobby Reed de Cordova was one of those players who could break out of the midfield and create those opportunities for the front three. So that, that's, this Jamaica side has a lot of potential. It seems like they're moving in the right direction, but can they be consistent? I wonder how they feel about Damari Gray making a move to Al Atifak. Uh, as opposed to playing in the Premier League. You know, it was like a huge win for Jamaica to get three Premier League stars. Uh, to Talk about dual nationals. Yeah, do, switch allegiance and or just commit to Jamaica. You know, Jamaica is, is at a, a weird spot in their development right now. Uh, mm. You know, money is short. The, the Federation could really use a nice bump up. I wonder how they feel about Damari Gray moving to, um, to a Saudi league versus playing in the Premier League. Well, I mean, the one thing we know for sure is Andre Blake is going to be great, but I wonder what is... I mean, he I mean was, look, look at Shamar Nicholson has been playing in Russia for the longest time, and he starts on the national team a lot. I don't think Russia is as much a question mark as the Saudi Premier League. I know they have a lot of new stars, but I would say the median is a little bit higher in the Russian Premier League. Fair. 
I mean, wow. this took a turn. Since, yeah. I mean, since, <laughs> since, since the war, since their invasion into Ukraine, and they've been cut off from Europe, uh-huh. I would say that they're, lo- they're losing a lot, but that's neither yeah. here nor there because I don't want to get into that. Thank God stop that conversation. Yeah. Let's did. talk about uh, I will um, say Jamaica in particular, uh, they've not lost the five matches they've had. Um, against um, Honduras. Honduras, thank you. Uh, so I, I can't, I can't imagine, especially with the, some of the bigger names that have signed up for Jamaica. I can't imagine that this is going to change. So uh, let me give you guys a little bit of context with Honduras. Actually, before I get into that, just the fact that Jamaica and Honduras, the two best teams in this group on paper, are playing each other is crazy because there are six teams per group, and everybody only plays each other four times because you, that's the amount of games that we have in these two windows before the quarterfinals of, of the CONCACAF Nations League. So because of the Swiss system that this tournament has been set up in, CONCACAF has decided to pair in throughout the group the two most evenly matched by ranking. So either Jamaica's gonna lose or Honduras is gonna lose. They can draw, but whoever loses is not gonna have that much wiggle room afterwards to slip up when the, th- the next three games to make that quarterfinal. So stakes are pretty high between Jamaica and Honduras. Honduras, mind you right now, is coming off of a very difficult uh, uh, um, cycle. They have been, it's almost crisis-ridden at Honduras with national team players Mm. and and a Mm -hmm. a lot of back and forth between the federation, the players and the coaches, nobody really being happy, nobody on the same page. And now they've brought in Reinaldo Rueda, who used to manage the national team, Colombian Colombian international manager has managed the Colombian national team and, and he's back at Honduras, with which he took them to a World Cup in 2010. Very highly respected. He's got a couple of players on his staff that you might know in David Suazo. So the players are back on board because there's a lot of respect given to Reinaldo Rueda and now the players really have to step up and someone who hasn't been shining with the Honduran national team. By the way, no Albert Ellis Mm. uh, because he's injured. So more than ever, the pressure falls on Choco Lozano's shoulders. Uh, He's with Getafe right now, um, has been bouncing around Cadiz, for example, in in, in La Liga. He's Honduras's best option up top with Romel Kyoto, but this is your nine. You need your nine to score goals, and Chuck's looking at me with a face that it's not going to happen. He's not him? He's not, he's not him. He's not him. They, do, they need him to be at his yeah. best, but that's the problem with Lozano. He, he hasn't delivered, and neither has Albert Elise. Yeah. So you look at that, Kyoto, Albert Elise, and Lozano. Yeah. That trio should be absolutely causing havoc throughout CONCACAF, and they haven't. And they don't. And... and Yes, you could say they're not getting the, 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 the passes in order to, to run at back lines. But even when they have had opportunities, it just ha- they haven't been influential. So this, this Honduras side is in, in a crisis. Yeah, there's, there's a couple. I, I want to see more from Davy Flores, who's a midfielder that has impressed me on the international stage with Honduras. He's, he's good on the ball, but you've also got Kevin Alvarez from Olympia uh, in Honduras, domestic football, that they have potential to be a good team. The defense is the only thing that I'm a little bit questionable about, especially against a Jamaica side that they've got players playing in the Premier League. It's almost like Panama and Honduras switch, switched, switched mm. mm-hmm. in terms of how competitive they are and and when Honduras is good, it's great for CONCACAF. Right. So but they just Honduras, back. back in the day when, when you were playing, even a couple of years afterwards, 
Honduras was a threat, man. Honduras was good yeah. in the region, and they've they've dropped, they've massively dropped off, and it's a shame. Mm -hmm. I mean, people know that my mom is from Honduras, yeah. so you know, I it, it's I, personal. I feel for this. I get it. We'll, like the Palacios, <gasps> Pavón, Suazo, all right, Roger Espinosa, even Ga guys were playing in Europe. They they had you went to Honduras, and you were like, oh man, this is not only are they good, but that crowd. Tyson Nunez. Yeah, the, fan, the fans Rambo. are the fans are passionate. As there, passionate as they come. There was a golden era, era lost. Guys, have a fabulous weekend. Thanks for tuning in.